Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast to help you be the best you can be to grow your business, your relationships and personal life. Our conversations with thought leaders and everyday people will inspire you. My mission is to show how positivity helps us all live a more rewarding and meaningful life. Hello, this is Robin Stratton Burkessel, host of Positivity Strategist. My guest this week is entrepreneur Panina Ryback, author of The Nice Reboot, A Guide to Becoming a Better Female Entrepreneur. But before we get started, let's start with our reframe segment. I do this each week as a way to strengthen our positivity muscle and to hone our ability to view people and situations through multiple lenses, particularly the positivity lens. Remember, what you focus on grows. In last week's episode on positivity strategist forward slash PS12, How to Create Lasting Change with Alan Kay, our positivity lens activity was to pay attention to the quality of our questions. The solution-focused change framework pays very close attention to asking better questions that help people find the solutions within themselves. And in Appreciative Inquiry, we focus on the unconditional positive questions to anticipate and heighten positive potential. I also suggested you listen to one of my earlier episodes, How Positive Questions Make a Difference, and that's Positivity Strategist PSO2. I hope you did listen and you found value in that episode with the examples I share and the stories I tell. By paying attention to your questions, you are now more aware of how questions determine what we find. Questions can be developmental in their intent, opening up and empowering people to greater possibilities, or they can be more problem-focused and shut people down. When we live in inquiry, as we say in appreciative inquiry, we adopt that state of curiosity, which is a state of wonder and awe, where we do remain open to all possibilities, and that's a positive potency. Hello, this is Robin Stratton-Burkessel, host of Positivity Strategists, and welcome to all of you. Today, I'm extremely happy to have as my guest and conversation partner, Panina Ryback. Now, I met Panina at an e-women's networking lunch recently. We found resonance in our shared passion for spreading awareness about all the opportunities that exist in the world today in this social age, especially for women in business. It so happens that we're both speakers, authors, workshop facilitators, and have a good presence on all the social networks, and we enjoy engaging in this space. It also happens that we're both app developers and we are mission-driven. No wonder we clicked Panina. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Before I continue my introduction of you, Panina, let me welcome you to Positivity Strategist. Thank you so much for having me here, Robin. I'm very excited to be here and to speak with you today. That's great. Yes, likewise. So let me just continue with saying more about the fabulous Panina Ryback. She's a speaker, an author, a speech therapist, an educational technology consultant. She's an iPad evangelist and a curriculum developer and an entrepreneur. 
Now, my observation is that Panina is tirelessly committed to her mission, which is, and I'm going to read this, um, and it comes from her About Me page, and there'll be a link to all of these places where you can find more about Panina and her work in the show notes to this podcast, Positivity Strategist PS13. Panina's mission is to embed social entrepreneurship into the DNA of all entrepreneurship to provide strategies, forums, seminars, coaching and opportunities to help more women successfully partake of both the entrepreneurial and tech revolutions in the I era, which we have now intersected. So it's time. Panina, you are inspiring. And your recent book called The Nice Reboot, How to Balance Your Craving for Humanity and Technology in Today's Startup Culture, published by Maven House Press, is truly a very helpful, practical, and again, an inspiring book. So Panina, I'd love for us to start our conversation today about your own reboot, moving from your role as a speech therapist to who you are today. Now in doing that, let me just set a little frame here. I'd love to hear some of the high points that you can share with us about your reboot. Because in your book, which I so enjoyed, it's beautifully written, and and reading it on my Kindle app on the iPad, I just loved all the links that you share, making it such a rich resource. It's a true treasure trove. And talking of treasure, you describe your own reboot as a necklace of several sequential events. I love that. So could you highlight some of those events that precipitated your own reboot? Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, I describe the act of rebooting and renewing oneself and re-engaging with the world wearing different hats as a necklace or a bunch of fireworks suspended sequentially in the sky because honestly, that's how change happens. Change doesn't come like a lightning bolt. It comes like fireworks appearing in the sky one after another. You know, like uh, pearls strung along on a necklace where you can kind of see patterns emerging that propel you in a new direction. I write of this in my book and I share my story where it really began in 2005 when I had to reboot my personal life. I came out of a failed relationship and realized that who I thought I was and what I knew about myself and my role in the world had to change. And that really was hit home again in 2009 when I had a ruptured appendix and I almost didn't make it. And I rebooted again because when you almost die, your perspective changes and the way you view life changes. And of course, that happened yet again in 2009 when my best friend and mentor, Dr. Necha Natalie Hachstein, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer in a routine mammogram. And uh, it was a great shock to all of us, myself especially, because we were best friends since late childhood. She was a child psychologist who uh, was a mentor to me as I was a speech therapist and an autism specialist in the school system. And we had talked about going into business together to really try to bring what we knew about education, about business to a larger stage through speaking and writing and consulting. And my friend never got to have that chance. 
She fought valiantly for three years, and in 2012, she lost the battle. But in 2009, when she was diagnosed and realized that she had to endure surgeries and chemo and radiation, she really made me promise that I would reboot professionally, not just personally, like I had done twice before. And I used to joke with her that I have been rebooting since the 90s when uh, I was chosen in New York State by Apple to uh, get trained in Apple technology and then become part of what was called the New York Trade Project, which went into educational settings, especially special educational settings, and teaching people in special ed how to integrate technology into the curriculum. But she said that I did that on a small scale and that I had a large message to share with the world, one that she wanted to share with me, but that she couldn't. So in 2009, with her help from the sidelines, I launched my consulting firm, Socially Speaking LLC. And I stepped out onto the world stage and I started being active on social media. And this was really a pivotal moment in my career. This was one of the fireworks that really stood out because Little did I know that the social technology, the social media movement would take over and, you know, my my company's name, Socially Speaking, LLC, would have on would have two connotations, one about social communication skills that we need to teach our children for better behavior, a better world, a a more peaceful world, uh, a more collaborative world. But Socially Speaking is also really about the social etiquette and the power of social media to empower people to really make a difference and change lives. I went on the road from 2009 until the present, where I literally crisscrossed North America, giving my socially speaking trademarked seminars first to the education arena and then later on to the entrepreneurship arena, because as you read so uh, eloquently, I do have a lot of hats. I'm an autism specialist, I'm a speech therapist, I'm an iPad evangelist, who jumped on the bandwagon that the iPad was a real game changer in the world of education and entrepreneurship. And I developed my socially speaking, social communication curriculum for children at risk for behavioral issues like those with special needs and autism in 2010. Uh, Necha urged me to think bigger to think more globally and to reboot what I knew about the technological arena. And in 2012, I launched my socially speaking iPad app, a one of a kind social assessment protocol for parents and educators to finally speak the same language, have a conversation, be able to get on the same page about what the child is good at, what the child has some challenges about, what the child needs to do in terms of developing better social skills and how we could actually implement that in a practical lesson plan. I lost my best friend and mentor in December 2012, and I had to reboot again. And it was a very painful time for me. And it became one of my most productive times because on her last few days, and I was with Necha on the last day of her life, she really impressed upon me how important it was to take what I've learned and to leave a breadcrumb trail for others to follow. 
So I had been writing down all my personal takeaways, my professional takeaways, my links that really helped me in terms of my own personal and professional growth, my ideas, my insights. And I had written them all down in my Evernote notebook using, uh, you know, my iPad, using the pocket app, using the Evernote app. And Nacha made me promise I would turn this into a book. And hence, my book, The Nice Reboot, A Guide to Becoming a Better Female Entrepreneur, How to Balance Your Cravings for Humanity and Technology in Today's Startup Culture, was born. And I worked on the book those months after Nacha passed, from December 2012 until uh, July, August 2013. I really worked on fleshing out a 300-something page book with very practical messages like you saw, Robin, from all the links that I provide and with very inspirational messages because I believe there has never been a better time for women to reboot, for women to harness the power of entrepreneurship, the power of technology, especially mobile technology and social technology, social media, to make a difference, to have an impact and to reboot their own lives professionally and personally. And I connected with my wonderful editor-in-chief, Jim Pennypacker at Mavenhouse Press in August 2013. And I was so pleased when he uh, wanted to publish my book. And my book came out last March. And uh, I have been really wearing many different hats, trying to get many different messages out there that we women are versatile. We women are able to reboot. We women can and will reboot, especially in the I era now, because we have tools to do so, and we are globally connected, and that empowers us in a positive and honestly spiritual kind of way in ways that have not really been explored so much before. We're really living in a wonderful time period, and I really hope that everybody takes full advantage of that. Let me just say that that is so eloquent so articulate, so clear what you're saying here. And the fact that you took the loss of your very dearest, best, oldest, most precious friend and turned that into something that would serve not only your legacy but her legacy too. Thank you for sharing all those beautiful moments that were like fireworks in the sky or the the pearls in the necklace. So is this something related to, you bring up patterns a lot in your book. You talk about patterns shaping behavior and perceptions. So is this kind of how you would say that the patterns that show up inform decisions that you make um, and you make sense of that through the journey or the work that you're doing or the reflections? Say a little bit more about patterns, if you will. Absolutely. I believe that there are patterns to be found all around us. And I do believe that nothing is random. I believe that when we take time to really examine our journey and live in the moment, instead of being so worried about the outcome and the results and the bottom line all the time, it really enables us to do two things. It enables us to look at patterns and start connecting the dots in new and unusual and unique ways. And number two, it really allows us to experience self-education in ways that we wouldn't otherwise 
really tap into, a multi-sensory kind of self-education where not only are we taking time to learn from the people who cross our path, and that's not random, but we also take time to discover things about those people around us or discover things about events around us or discover things about ourselves and read more about it and really then connect the dots in both our thoughts and our actions. So I talk a lot about patterns because a lot of us bring different skills to the table and a lot of us need to develop skill sets in today's shared economy and today's digital age that were not asked of us because of the lack of technology or because of the lack of global connectivity, you know, 50 years ago. And because of that, it's so important in today's digital age to engage in living in the moment and enjoying the process. And part of that means reading. You know, I, I talk a lot about how I learned about patterns, but then applied them to my life by reading what other people did or reading the ideas, the thought leadership, the virtual mentorship of other people. So in my opinion, reading is not a luxury anymore. It's a necessity because it helps us make sense of the patterns around us. It helps us stay current. It helps us get ahead of the learning curve because, like I said, we are in very, we're living in very wonderful but very complicated times where it's really all about understanding how to connect the dots around us personally and professionally. I would just like to point out that I have gained clarity of purpose and I have gained comprehension of how the dots connect to me and for me is by having diversified experiences. Mm -hmm. I left the school system. I traveled around North America. I met a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures and I spent time reading about them, learning about them, speaking with them, reading what was said about them, following them on social media and reaching out to them and developing relationships with them. And it taught me that diverse experiences and a diverse attitude about life and who crosses your path in life, which really encompasses both sides of the coin of one's theory of mind, is really what will drive your trajectory in life. Diversified experiences is really what will help you, number one, discern the patterns, and number two, connect the dots about them so that you understand the playground politics, so to speak. You understand the rules of the game, and you know how to connect the dots so that you have clarity of purpose, what your role is, and where you need to be at certain given moments in time. Wow, again, just so insightful, so beautiful. And I'm glad you brought up the diversity of experiences. So was that something that you freshly embarked on after you left the education system? Was that new and was that a big step for you to get on the road and share your message? Was that something outside your normal realm of behavior? Right. Well, reading wasn't. I was always an avid reader. I uh, There's a family joke that my Parents said that at age three, you know, everybody was requesting a specific doll or a specific toy. And I said, I want the library card. <laughs> <laughs> so as far back as I can remember, I knew that I, I had always been very interested in reading. 
But traveling, uh, as you know, was, has not been as easy as it is today. It's, it's also gotten much less expensive. And of course, it helped that when I launched my company in 2009, I partnered up with other more recognized and frankly, more solvent companies at the time who were very happy to send me around the country, you know, as a, as a co-partnership with them, giving seminars. So I really got to travel the country starting in 2009, thanks to the generosity of companies like Health Education Network, PESCCMI, Educational Resources, and school districts and other organizations who then hired me based on sending some of their personnel to my initial seminars. So I could honestly say that traveling was a new experience for me because I suddenly had the time and the resources to do it. So I suddenly had much more exposure to people from all walks of life, even though I'm from Manhattan, even though I do experience a United Nations on the streets of Manhattan Mm. on a regular basis. It was really an eye-opening experience for me to be a single woman alone on the road in the age of Yelp, in the age of uh, mobile apps, in the age of Facebook and Pinterest. And it was an eye-opening experience how much we know in this wonderful country of ours, but how much we still just didn't get Mm -hmm. and how many people knew and were embracing technology, especially the new technology like the iPad apps, but how many of us, especially in the world of education, just either didn't have the time or weren't given access. And, you know, that's something that I wrote of in my book, when I asked the question, are we women really prepared for the entrepreneurial and the tech revolutions? Because I found that demographically, uh, where one lived and what one's geographical location and, and job was, it, that was a, there was a direct correlation to how much access and how much comfort level they had with using mobile technology for their professional life, not just their personal life to check email or, you know, send a post to a friend on Facebook. Uh, So to answer your question, my mind had always been traveling along diverse roads based on the varied reading that I did, but I physically got on the road in 2009 and opened up my horizons in a whole new way. Yeah. And so what is about you, your attributes, what do you really value about yourself and your strengths that allowed you to shift? I mean, I'm seeing this as a very courageous move, moving from the security of your job and being as successful as you were in your educational arena and being well known in your space to embarking on an entrepreneurial journey. So for our listeners, and you know that I'm on about positivity strategists and how you can bring transformational change into your own life by focusing on your own greatness, your own talents, your own strengths. I'd love to hear what you perceive to be the qualities, the attributes of you. There were the outside influences. We did talk about what propelled you from an environmental an experiential perspective to reboot. But, you know, your innate strengths, other than reading and this quest for knowledge and this quest for finding connections, what else could you say that you're proud of in terms of who you are as a woman, Panina? Thank you. That's a very 
profound question that off the top of my head, if I had to say two words that sum up what I've tried to become as a professional, as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as a digital citizen in the I era, I would have to say courage and collaboration. Actually, I have to say three words, courage, conviction, and collaboration. I faced death myself in 2009 when my appendix ruptured and they got to me in time and I'm here, you know, to speaking with you today, but it really changed my perspective. And again, watching my best friend fight cancer and then lose and slowly lose and painfully lose to it further strengthened my belief that courage is a verb. It's not just an adjective. I have to embrace fear and then I can embrace change. And I have a little sign on a blackboard on my website, niceinitiative.com. What would you do if you weren't afraid that you would fail? Mm -hmm. Or what could you do if you would not fail? And that was something that really was driving me to reboot all these years that I finally put it into words and then put it into action. So I believe that courage is something that can be honed. It's trial by fire and it's painful, but coming out on the other side made me realize that I'm not afraid of failure like other people are, and I'm not afraid of change like some other people may be. And that led me to my second trait, which was conviction. I think that we live in an age of reinvention where people can constantly reinvent themselves, which is great, but sometimes their core values get reinvented as well. I mean, we just had election day in America. I don't, I don't need to say anything else. I have always been a person of conviction who has believed certain tenets of life. And that has helped me travel into the entrepreneurship arena that has helped me travel around the country, helped me travel through life, believing that I'm here to help serve others I'm here to make life better for children. I'm here to make a difference and learn from others and then spread the words of others so that we can all leave this world a better place than the way we found it. And having these core convictions has helped me stay true to my mission, as marketers would say, align my social media posts with my brand but more importantly, it has helped me, as Hamlet says, to thine own self be true. Mm. And because of that, I have honed my natural tendency, which is to collaborate with people into a higher purpose and a higher art form, so to speak, by seeking out people to collaborate with on a larger scale about my socially speaking uh, autism mission about my nice initiative for women leadership and women entrepreneurship mission. So again, if I had to say that there were three traits that I've actively worked on that became verbs for me, not just adjectives, I would say that I worked on my courage. I worked on my conviction and staying true to it. And I worked on my collaboration skills. And these are the three 
most important skills I believe we need in the I era now, which is ever changing and very complex and much more globally connected than ever before. Yeah, just beautiful. I just love the way you're saying that. And it so happens that it's an alliteration as well, the three C's. I'm sure that wasn't intentional. It just happened that way. <laughs> I tend to think that way. I do. I think an acronym sometimes. I, I know. So <laughs> In my book, I had uh, a part about the three E's, you know, where I, I talk about uh, when one is putting forth one's product or service in the world and, and, and writing about it, presenting about it and having social media posts about it, they should have in mind the three E's to educate, to entertain and encourage change. Yeah. So now you're asking me a different question. It's going to become the three C's. <laughs> it's the poetry in you, I'm sure. So, <laughs> um, and so I have to ask you about the acronym NICE, the NICE Reboot. So you've got to tell us about that one. Uh, that was fun. Uh, number one, I've always been a techie. I think that's why Mac found me in the 90s and, and chose me among many candidates, you know, to be part of the trade uh, project for New York State. Uh, I remember my mother bringing home the Apple IIe and I was very excited. And of course, I have had almost every Mac out there. And the word reboot has been part of my everyday vocabulary since I'm little. The word nice has been part of our female vocabulary for generations. And it's a real play on words where I felt that women have more unique challenges than men in the business world, given our soft skills, given the fact that we are biologically hardwired to really care about the impact our service and product has on the greater good and on the community at large, not just the bottom line, the bottom dollar. And given the glass ceiling that a lot of us are still facing, where we think to get ahead in business means to uh, really put the me before we. So I took the word nice, which uh, a lot of people expect us women to be, a lot of our parents tell us to be nice, whereas our brothers and uh, the little boys are told to be smart. And I created an acronym where I said that real entrepreneurship solves problems that make the world better. So there is a nice aspect to that. And that's why I believe in embedding social entrepreneurship in every aspect of anyone's entrepreneurial mission. So nice stands for nice, but the I stands for being informed knowing about technology, knowing how to leverage mobile technology, iPad apps, social technology, social media, the politics of the playground, so that you can really promote your service and product in an effective, collaborative, and purposeful way. So N stands for nice, I stands for informed, C stands for competent. I did not have the book that I wrote when I started in 2009. And I wish I did. And that's really why I wrote it, because I made a lot of mistakes along the way that really cost me time, obviously cost me money, but also cost me many hours of frustration, not understanding some of the core realities, practical realities, psychological realities that I needed to know to be a competent entrepreneur not just a, a publicized one. So the N stands for nice, the I stands for informed, the C stands for competent. And I talk a lot about how to become a better entrepreneur 
by doing specific actions and reading specific links and books, all of which are in my book that really helped me. And then, of course, the E stands for entrepreneurial, where being an entrepreneur is as much about mindset and attitude as it is about solving a problem or as the founder of Reddit, Alex, Alexi, I'm sorry, I cannot remember his name now, but the founder of Reddit was asked, what's an entrepreneur? And he said, it's a French name for someone who has great ideas. <laughs> and that's really funny. And that's actually true. But being an entrepreneur means thinking globally about your service and product and the impact that it can have on others large scale, not just being a business owner. Mm -hmm. And that means debunking certain myths about entrepreneurship. And that means looking deep inside yourself and redefining success. What does that really mean for you beyond the dollars and the cents that obviously uh, a lot of people uh, go into entrepreneurship for? Just look at the WhatsApp that propelled them onto the entrepreneurial stage and Facebook bought them. And now look, lo and behold, WhatsApp is going to start charging money for a service they created that initially had such social entrepreneurship potential. And now, you know, it's being nickeled and dimed. Mm -hmm. So I created my acronym because I talk about all of these different factors under the umbrella of NICE. Yeah, so something I wanted to bring up there was around, you know, when you bring up the WhatsApp example, you know, there gets to a point where a startup may need funding and has to go out there and look for funding. So do you have a perspective on, you know, when if you do are successful, I'm using quote marks around that, and you do attract funding and you might have to give up part of your soul perhaps or part of the original intention behind the product or the service that you invested in. What's your sense around that? You know, when you find funding and you lose some of that control, perhaps that you you have to give up some of that so that the funders are also able to take opportunity of their investment in you and their belief in you and your product. Right. That's a very tricky question for me because as somebody who lost pieces of her soul, so to speak, at different junctures in time. And I clawed my way out of the darkness and I tried very much to retain my sense of self and my soul. I have been a bootstrapping entrepreneur who has not relinquished control mm -hmm. of any aspect of my products, my services, my company, because I did not want to have to make that choice. And I think that in 2014, we don't have to make that kind of choice that we may have had to make five years ago, 10 years ago, especially as women, because there are more and more women in venture capital. There are more and more men in venture capital who are understanding that it makes good karma, so to speak, but it also makes good financial sense to partner up with organizations that you don't have to feel like you're giving up your soul because the social entrepreneurship is already embedded within and, and you're aligned in your mission and you, you both want to work together to solve problems that make the world a better place. Uh, the Wall Street Journal just ran an article a few weeks ago why companies, big companies, are understanding now that giving to charity helps them. Mm -hmm. And I actually talk about philanthropy and the concept of leaving a legacy behind 
that's not just tangible in my book. There are still not enough women in venture capital, but there are men like Vivek Wadwa in Silicon Valley who have pulled aside the curtain and let us see what it's like in Silicon Valley, especially in the big boys arena you know, of technology and especially in the venture capital arena that used to make women who would come for funding make a choice, the kind of choice that you're talking about and how that's got to stop, but it's actually starting to get better across the way. Now, I am not very well versed in the world of venture capitalism by any means, because like I said, I have deliberately chosen to be a bootstrapping entrepreneur who believes that it's important to retain your soul while still seeking out corporate sponsorship or financial sponsorship from venture capitalists who believe in your mission because they themselves understand that doing good creates opportunities that will lead to financial good and well-being physically, emotionally, psychologically, and politically for the world at large. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. What is part of my appreciative inquiry work and when I did my certification at Case Western Reserve University, the Weatherhood School of Management, 10 years ago now, just over 10 years ago, one of our projects was to, to go out into corporations or to businesses who were doing good in the world. So they saw that doing good in the world was also related to serving and it returned good returns to them in terms of all those things that you're talking about. And this project was called Business as an Agent of World Benefit. B-A-W-B is what is the acronym for that. That's still going strong. And what I found when I went to some of the big corporations in New York City and spoke to some of the executives there is when they realized and had conversations with their grandchildren, and most of these, I mean, they were all men. I think there was one woman that I spoke to. They were mainly men, and they were of the age where they had grandchildren. It was conversations with their daughters who spoke about the world that they wanted that made them realize that the triple bottom line was really an imperative for them. It was no longer a choice. You really had to think about the people, the planet, and not at the cost of profits. So, I mean, you're right, there is a big movement and the BAWB initiative continues. There was one just recently in Cleveland, Ohio, and the topic of that, using the appreciative inquiry methodology, was about prospering and flourishing. So this all ties into also what positive psychology is about, is how we can create lives of flourishing. You know, it's not about um, the mental illness model anymore when it comes to psychology, but there's so much good that's going on in the world. Let's shine the light on those stories and bring that to our consciousness and to the greater good. And, you know, when you talk about venture capitalists moving into this space, I think it all augurs really well for our future. And we owe this to social media and to the technologies that talk about collaboration. It's also about empowerment and it's about democratizing thought and making it accessible to every everyone. 
So I, I really love where this conversation's going. So I just want to segue a little bit into you talk about um, you talk about virtual mentors, and I know that you have some relationships with some pretty well-known people out there in who have been mentors to you or people that you've had access to who are supporting and encouraging and cheering you from the sidelines or even may, maybe more than just the sidelines. So perhaps, Penina, you could share with us some of the, the ways virtual mentors have been such an asset for you and then how you've been able to get a relationship with some people who perhaps can support you in what you're aiming to do in the world through the nice re- reboot and through the work that you do. Sure. It actually t- ties back to what you were just saying about collaboration and the impact of social media on making things more transparent. We are now living in a culture of transparency. And that is why mentorship is really flourishing like never before. And we honestly have the millennials to thank for this. And I write about this in my book. I have a brother who's a millennial. And honestly, I think a lot of millennials have been given a bad rap because they have been changing the game, changing the rules in how we learn, how we communicate with people, how we view collaboration and transparency as good things and how we really view mentorship. It really started when Jack Welch, the CEO of GE, realized that he had different generations of employees, and he instituted reverse mentorship, where the millennials were teaching the older, more seasoned employees technology and uh, different aspects of uh, collaborative reality, so to speak, And of course, the employees who had more experience were teaching the younger millennials the ropes of their particular profession. And it was a win-win situation for everybody because the millennials were developing the skills that they needed and the experience, not to mention the leadership skills. And of course, the older, more seasoned employees were not going to be let out to pasture because they were keeping up with the latest technology and the latest current events, and everybody was forming this ecosystem of sharing and this ecosystem of virtual mentorship online, in real time. And I'm somebody who always has believed in mentorship. It's actually built in by my organization that gives me my speech therapy license, the American Speech Uh, Language and Hearing Association, ASHA. ASHA has a whole manual on their website. You can download as a PDF on the tenets of mentoring. But I had to be mentored when I was an undergraduate getting my master's. uh, I'm sorry, when I was an undergraduate in college and then getting my master's from NYU in uh, speech language pathology. I had X amount of hours I had to do under the mentorship of other people. And then I was actually a supervisor at different points and I mentored other students when I was in the school system, a lot of them being millennials. So coming to the entrepreneurial arena with a team player attitude and a positive outlook about collaboration and mentoring really enabled me to do two things on social media that not a lot of other people did. I reached out on social media platforms across all my channels and asked people to connect with me so that I could have conversations with them in Skype, uh, FaceTime, Google Hangouts, 
emails where I could get to know them and then maybe share some of their knowledge on my blog posts. There are many, many wonderful blog posts out there. We need more people writing blog posts that are specialized to different skills, such as how to do this and uh, where can you find information on that. But I do something interesting in my blog posts on Huffington Post and LinkedIn and WordPress and Tumblr, where I find, I curate content, that's the, the, that's the buzzword, but I find articles and ideas and thought leadership that I think to myself, this would provide virtual mentorship that's so valuable for what I'm trying to convey with my nice initiative. I'm going to share this with other people. I'm going to give them the credit. So my blog posts are full of links, like my book, about other people doing other great things and trying to get that on everybody's radar because I believe that while it may be impossible to physically get mentored by everyone who crosses our path, there are hours and hours of virtual mentorship to be found online by the way people post, the wording that they use, how positive strategists uh, are born by the words that they use to encourage change, to encourage people, not to mention the blog posts out there, the rich thought leadership, the rich virtual mentorship that I have learned a tremendous amount from that has caused me to reach out to people such as you. I actually saw your TED Talk, Robin, uh, about a few months ago, and I was so inspired that I, I reached out to you, and I think I quoted you and your TED Talk in one of my blog posts. So I think it's easier than ever to find mentorship but at the same time, you have to have the questions prepared, what you want to be mentored on, what you want to know more about, so that it makes it easier to really sift through everything and find all those diamonds in the rough. You asked me, how do I go about finding mentors? Like everybody else, I believe in the power of social media, and I try very much to get people to connect with me on LinkedIn, not because I'm trying to grow my network, although I invite people to connect with me all the time, but because I want to have a way to email them to inquire what do they do and, and to learn more about them and then see how I can share some of their great lessons in what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and you do that so well, Panina. And yes, I have been fortunate recipient of your generosity of spirit, the way that you're describing that you want to share these resources because people can just grow so much through reading and being linked to other thought leaders in their fields. So you you just exemplify that so beautifully. So I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I know that we'll continue this kind of relationship going forward. And we don't live that far from each other, so we can do it face-to-face -face as well as online. That would be great. So I would... No, because, because I wanted to say, because at the end of the day, what I learned by living life before the technological revolution really started, and then, of course, afterwards, was that due to global communication, due to social media, due to the transparency spirit, so to speak, that is imbuing everything that we do today... It's really 
important for all of us to understand from child to grandparent out there that we're a leader. We're all leaders in the making. And that changes behavior. That changes everything. That changes our outlook. That changes our mindset. That changes the way we do things. Because if you walk around living life and meeting people and interacting with people and thinking about what teachable moment or moments am I contributing to this moment in time, to this interaction, to this conversation, then it will shape your thoughts and your actions towards others around you in unexpectedly beautiful ways. So I walk around sometimes thinking like there's an invisible sign in front of me. This could be recorded, (laughs) you know, like on a DVR for social media posts. And it really changes the way I act online and offline Mm. because we're all leaders in the making. Yeah, that's so fabulous. Yeah. And it implies to me that you are so open to every moment. So you walk around with your eyes and ears and your heart open. What's showing up for me here? One of the patterns that I'm aware of and what I might need to be doing, or here's a new opportunity or a new possibility. So it's just a beautiful frame that you have on the world. Thank you. Hmm. It was hard earned and hard learned, but it has really made me appreciate every moment in life. Life is more interesting. Life is richer. Life has more meaning. And I feel honestly much more at peace with things because I understand my purpose in the world. And more importantly, I understand that there are so many dots that can be connected and the journey of connecting them is really what counts. Yeah. Very beautiful. There's so much more I wanted to cover, but I'm aware of our time. So maybe we'll schedule another time for this, Panina, where we can continue this conversation. I would so enjoy that. That would be fantastic. I would just like to end with a message for everybody that my NICE initiative is really trying to push. I'm working very hard on launching the NICE initiative with two simple messages. Leaving, number one, leaving a legacy behind is so important. It's much more than the children one leaves behind. My best friend didn't get to have children, and yet she left a legacy behind in the kindness, the praise, the encouragement, the teachings, the stories that she provided others, that she shared with others who now create self-sustaining legacies based on her legacy. And number two, a positive outlook and a sense of humor is really two of the most important tools that you can have in your emotional toolbox to be a positive strategist. In my book, I quote Tina Fey, who talks about saying yes, the power of saying yes, within reason, of course, Robin, uh, with parameters. (laughs) But uh, one of the rules of improv and comedy, for those of us who uh, have read Bossy Pants, which is a great book uh, for many reasons, is that saying yes within parameters based on the rules and the parameters that you choose to say yes to can really open doors, open doors that you never imagined. And a lot of us, especially women, need to remember this message. Say yes. You never know. I said yes to the opportunity to work for other companies initially through my own company uh, to go around North America giving seminars in the middle of of the worst recession we've had in years. I said yes to Maven House Press that published my 
entrepreneurial blueprint when I was really not known in the business world at the time. I was only known in the educational arena. So those were the two messages I really just wanted to leave everybody. If I uh, can pass these two messages along today, Robin, then I'm a very happy person. Well, you've made me a very happy person just by having this opportunity to speak with you. And going onto the topic of humor was somewhere I wanted to go. Um, And so I think we might take that up again next time. Thank you. That would be lovely. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Panina, for sharing your story, your wisdom, your inspiration, and all the beautiful things that you're doing in this world. And I'm really interested to hear more of what's next for you. So, so far today, thank you so much, Panina Ryback. There are so many takeaways from Panina's interview this week. To encourage us to exercise the positivity lens over the next week, as you mull over Panina's stories and learnings, I've come up with five possibilities where we can exercise our positivity lens, and there are so many more that may have resonated with you. Why don't you leave a comment or leave a message on Positivity Strategist slash voicemail and provide us with what you want to focus on? Here are the five possibilities that I came up with. Go for the diversity of experience. Two, actively seek out some virtual mentors to help you grow personally or professionally. Three, say yes to some new openings. Four, reflect on some of the patterns that show up and what might be the trajectory if you were to make sense of them. And five, gain clarity around the legacy that you wish to leave. Any of these or others that may have resonated will serve to help you create more positive moments in your life, thereby helping you hardwire your brain for good and build greater ability to be at peace with yourself and the world, whatever life may present to you in the future. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.